This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello and welcome back to your weekly podcast into England's past. I'm Charles Rowe. Coming up, we're at Kenilworth Castle, where noble knights will be doing battle on horseback. You'll hear the call for lances and you will be offered a lance. You take a lance and you signal that you are ready. And then once the marshal sees that both are ready, he will call in French once again, laissez Ali, let's go. We hear how much planning goes into a legendary joust. The idea is that people get a real sense of the magic of the 15th century and what that would have been like, but also learn something. I mean, ideally, you go home having learnt something as well as having had a brilliant day. And we'll discover how the sport was invented. Stay with us. We'll hear from jousting organiser Diana Evans and jouster Dominic Sewell in just a few moments. But first, let's find out where else the past will take us on future episodes of the English Heritage Podcast. What we see before the late 18th century is often men could be dressed as spectacularly as women. I mean, think of how magnificent someone like Henry VIII looked. It's a see-through structure, really. You you can look through it, and, and though it shows it's working, it does it in a really, really elegant way. I can't imagine any other bridge in that location. I think it's uh, I think it's a wonderful addition to the site. I think when Wellington bought the house, there was a great euphoria after Waterloo, and everybody was naming things Wellington this, Wellington that. And it probably would have been just a little bit common for him to name his own house Wellington House. Plenty more to look forward to there. But this week, we're riding back through time several hundred years to the Middle Ages. It was a historical period where the horse was a nobleman's best friend. But also a mode of transport, a war machine, and eventually a living, breathing piece of sporting equipment. And the engine of the joust. So recently, I travelled to Kenilworth Castle and Elizabethan Gardens in Warwickshire as the team prepared for a legendary jousts event. I first meet Diana Evans in the cafe, which was originally the stables. It's perfect that we're actually talking in something that used to be the stables because obviously we've got horses just only half a mile away from us. And, well, let's talk a little bit about your job itself. Uh, We'll take a little walk outside and we can see what you're planning to put on. How long have you been doing the job as events manager then? I've been working in events for English Heritage for five years now. How did you get into that then? Well, I started out running events. Um, It was more concerts and festivals. Very similar in the sense of coming in and out of a lot of different venues and bringing in entertainment for the public. I worked in a lot of churches, making them into kind of venues. And the sort of a logical step for someone like me interested in history and events, coming and working for English Heritage on their fantastic live events programme. So we just come outside the stables now, we're standing in the courtyard and we've got a long lawn and we can look up the slope and we've got Kenilworth Castle steeped on the end there, all the ruins in their red brick, former glory I guess, and still (laughs) still glory that we, we can see them in today. So what will this area look like during the joust event? Well, it will truly come to life by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. We will have a series of arenas in which various bits of entertainment and historical 
historical activity will take place. So to our left here, we'll be having some medium-sized arena in which there will be a skill at arms, performances or shows or displays, which is kind of the first part of the combat action that forms the day of the joust events. We'll also have an arena where we have falconry, historic falconry taking place, where we'll get to see amazing birds of prey soaring up and being kind of at the beck and call of the falconer, which is amazing. There'll be musicians playing medieval music, really bringing the atmosphere. There'll be fun for children to run off some steam with some kids' battles and so on. And there'll also be living history, and that will be in the form of an encampment up there by the Keep Ruins. And it will be generally living history is full of detail, full of sights, sounds and smells of the medieval time. And our amazing reenactors really live the medieval life for the weekend. Well, let's take a little bit walk uh, walk round, and we'll just take a look at uh, what else is already in this area and has been put up. We've got a couple of tents as we walk towards the right-hand side of the stables here, the current cafe. And there's a black one and a white one as well. So what's inside these? So a huge part of running events for a charity such as English Heritage is making sure that we're providing opportunity for our visitors to come, spend the day here. So we want to cater for them. So we want to provide catering in the form of, in this case, a delicious barbecue, which is very befitting of summer. And also we have a marquee, which is essentially, it's a pop-up shop full of our lovely kind of historically themed or locally themed Products. So people can have a little shop, have a little look around and really spend the whole day here. Uh, we will obviously want to make the income to go towards the charity in order to kind of help protect our historic buildings and monuments. So it's all part and parcel of the work that English Heritage does, as well as making sure we just generally make fabulous days out for people. So we've covered some mini battle reenactments which are happening behind us. And, and there's a falconer, bird of prey is going up into the air and swooping down and getting a bit of meat and that sort of thing. There's going to be lots of cheering and whooping and, and that sort of thing, I'm sure, around here, and a cl- few clashes of swords and yep. chain mail. Absolutely. It's going to be full of sights and sounds. It's going to be very atmospheric. We expect quite a few visitors to come and generally just walk around, wander around, explore, speak to the reenactors in the living history encampment, learn about what they would have done in medieval times in terms of cooking, maintaining weaponry, mending clothes, all of these kinds of things. The idea is that people get a real sense of the magic of the 15th century and what that would have been like but also learn something I mean ideally you go home having learnt something as well as having had a brilliant day it's going to be a colourful event as well isn't it because I think if we go towards this end of the area which is just beyond the tents you've got something in the corner just by the perimeter wall which is a little bit special and uh, seems to remind me a little bit of um, games when I was a kid Yes. So it seems like you've got different teams for the jousts. Well, the, the, the knights, the four knights who will be jousting, they represent different retinues, which is their, their team, essentially. So they'll have a specific colour scheme, a specific symbol that they represent. Because this year we're launching the new joust theme, which is the legendary jousts, each knight is now kind of embodying a particular mythical, legendary character from history, as they would have done in the 15th century in medieval times. So we are reflecting what really would have happened. So the aim is to be authentic. We've just had delivered <laughs> these arches. So they are our decorations, which are going to go and represent and be a part of the knight's tents, the knight's camp, the knight's areas. And they depict the symbols that represent the characters that the knights 
are embodying. So we're looking at um, two vertical uprights and then a sort of arch made out of wood and foliage with a shield in the centre right at the top where you'd expect a coat of arms to yes. be basically. And we've got different coats of arms. So which coats of arms have we got? So we've got, um, here we're seeing with the foliage and the, um, and the kind of branches creating the arches, the wild man of the woods, a motif from medieval art and um, literature that plays through history up to that point. He was a symbol that represented kind of freedom, nature, strength. If you look back into um, medieval art, you'll see him depicted brandishing his baton that he's got there dancing dancing around and it used to be people in medieval time would have had brawls so parties where they dance and they act out the wild man uh, as a way of kind of letting their hair down so that's an interesting character we've also got the wyvern some people will think it's the dragon it's different from a dragon he's got two legs as opposed to four and that's symbolized by just a bit of flame flame yes flame dragons they dragons or wyverns they go hand in hand he represents strength courage danger all of these kinds of things that we would associate with a brave knight getting on horseback and jousting for honor we've also got jason of the argonauts that is very much a symbol um, coming from greek history which people in the 15th century would have engaged with and been interested in represents Presenting adventure, courage. Again, it's this kind of honourable searching for kind of a new land in the same way that a knight might be searching for new glory. Then the final one is Sir Lancelot, who's a character we may, most people may well have heard of. A member of King Arthur's court. That is right, yes, indeed. He certainly represents courage, bravery, chivalry, which is a big theme in 15th century medieval jousting knights and and tournaments. His symbol is a lance here, but we'll be seeing him in person in his shining armour and jousting along with the other three. Speaking of knights in shining armour, it's now time to find Dominic Sewell, an experienced horseman and jouster who's preparing for his weekend with English heritage. So, Dom, with the sound of the tractor in the background um, ploughing the fields, (laughs) we have arrived at the top of the viewing platform and we are looking out onto the mere where you do your jousting. We've got the Elizabethan gardens to our right and behind us is the keep. So we're basically in a pretty fortified position in the castle with a fantastic view of what would happen on a typical joust day. So to talk about jousting to start with, when did it all start? We seem to find that most of the records point to some time in northern France around 1070, where we see bands training for war, which is essentially what jousting is, and and then holding organisations and and, um, events uh, amongst themselves. It then became quite a serious pastime because then wages were taken and then rules were laid down that if you captured an opponent and you captured his armour and his horse and uh, anyone that knows anything about a little bit about jousting knows that those are the two most expensive items. (laughs) So it's a bit like the spoils of war? Absolutely, without it being war. It's a way to gain your reputation, of course. Hmm. The man regarded as England's greatest knight, William Marshall, made his reputation and his fortune and his position in life through jousting by accompanying the young King Henry around jousting France and uh, acquiring a great deal of money and horses. How do we get the word joust then? Because it sounds like it might come from the French, like je meaning game. <coughs> Jute, yes, uh, or just, but it is normally regarded as the act of two riders coming together using spears. So is it a sport or a martial art or preparing for battle or all three? It's all three. Certainly it's a martial art in the true sense of Western martial arts. 
because it involves skill as a rider and in a warlike position as a rider with a lance you are definitely engaging in some very violent conduct. Sport, I think it's sport as a pastime as opposed to the understanding of sports back then, um, which were all regarded as pastimes, hunting, jousting, whatever, uh, were the most important pastimes to the gentry. Uh, and so therefore, it became very, very important to them. And therefore, a lot of money was sunk into it. Because as soon as something is created in, the, in a sport, then it becomes a, a tool for advancement. So as you can start, as I've just mentioned with William Marshall, you can start at very low. He was the second son of a nobleman, not destined for much apart from the church, a very lucky, a small piece of land. He rose to be regent of England. That's how far you can advance yourself. And how has the sport advanced over the centuries? Because when we look at modern sports, <clears throat> the rules change. You know, we look at football, VAR, goal line technology, all that sort of thing. I suppose, has jousting evolved over the centuries? It, it very much has. And I've just, on Monday, returned from a huge event in Russia where live broadcast and VAR were used, instant replays. Uh, and it's very, very useful to this sport. But in the essence of medieval jousting, is in that term. It is based because people want to recreate the arms and equipment and uh, a style of jousting at that point. Now, of course, in, in today, in the modern age, there are many, many different types of jousting. People um, will see jousting in different castles in, in many different forms. But English heritage are proud uh, to prevent authentic jousting as it was, well-researched, using records, using tales from the past to tell these stories of these rock star knights and how they um, came about to be so popular. And of course, jousting waxed and waned throughout the medieval period. The busiest time for jousting in England was in the 13th century. Because in the 15th century, although it's very exciting, we were quite busy fighting each other or France. As we turn to the left and look at the mere, which obviously comes from, I, I believe, the French word mer, meaning <laughs> sea, because it was underwater it centuries was, yes, ago. Indeed, yeah. This is where you're going to be galloping up and down. You can see. We've already got a white van driving in. There's indeed. a dog that's been chasing up and down as yeah. well. And they're putting out the marker posts for the actual So Yes, yeah, so strip. You, we're seeing that the, the, the tilt yard is being constructed at the moment. You can see there's a specific sanded area where the horses run up and down with, which helps look after them and then the tilt will be erected in the middle of that standard area and for the horses to be separated when the jousting starts. And the tilt is what exactly? The tilt is a, a fabric or wooden barrier designed to separate the horses so they don't collide until quite late in the medieval period into the early 15th century old jousting was done as we call open field without a barrier but again because um, jousting ironically is a very risk averse sport <laughs> the barrier was in there to lessen the fact of many more collisions. So what kind of jousting period are we in when you're competing? For this weekend, English Heritage are launching a, a brand new series of jousts called the, the series of Myths and Legends, where each of our knights' competitors are assuming a Myths and Legends character to adopt their jousting style. Of course, this being very allegorical, because each are telling a story, it's something that was happened very commonly in France and in Burgundy and a little bit in England in the 15th century, but really came to prominence in jousting in the 16th century. So who are you going to play? <laughs> well, this weekend, I am going to be the referee. I'm going to be the Knight Marshal. Oh. Uh, I'm resting my weary bones from Russia, which is again <laughs> the hardest tournament in the world, and I'm going to be, as the most experienced, I suppose is the kind way of saying I'm an old, experienced knight, I will be overseeing the new style of jousting as we have it this weekend. Obviously, this weekend, you're not going to be jousting as such. You won't be on horseback. 
But when you have been on horseback, have you had any injuries? Have you come off a few times during these uh, events? Well, uh, yes, depending on what we're doing, a number of things can happen. I haven't had any bad injuries. I've not had anything broken since I started to learn to ride. But injuries do occur. Broken bones, broken legs, people being hurt from falling off. Many people fall off all the time on their arm and they're absolutely fine. It's just one of those nuances again that we're talking about, about why people get injured. But generally, as I said earlier, jousting is risk averse. We're trying to reduce the risk at all times whilst hitting each other in the faces with trees. Lances. Making sure, lances, exactly. But so they came from trees They originally. came from trees, of course. <laughs> uh, so the idea is that we reduce the risk by wearing this beautifully made equipment at the highest spec and level meticulously researched and made by fantastic craftsmen all around the world and bringing four of them together in one place is really an exciting prospect. Is there a particular way that one must conduct oneself if one is a knight for one of these events? Is there an well, of etiquette course. for jousting? Yeah, yeah there, there, there definitely is an etiquette for jousting and, and there can be gamesmanship. As a, Which is different from sportsmanship. One. Absolutely and then <laughs> the people that do engage in that and you know who I'm talking to um, <laughs> are looked upon very because what you need to do, uh, you're not only are you um, striking your opponent, but you're also being a target for him. This is very important, that we're wearing these Tars shields, the Tars jet, and uh, it is a target to allow the other person to strike as well. And it becomes this part of the chivalric code. You are expected to behave in a certain manner, chivalrously, but also try your very hardest. Chivalry, that also comes from the French, doesn't it? Cheval, for horse. Of course. Whichever country you visit in, in, in Western Europe or even in Eastern Europe, the knightly cord will always relate back to the horse. And this goes right back to the Roman period and the fact that it was the people who could afford to ride horses did ride horses and therefore were the ones that were given the places in the cavalry. OK, so let's describe the atmosphere as we look at the mere. You know, you're going to be galloping back and forth the crowd's going to be <clears throat> roaring. There's going to be a PA announcer, obviously yep. making announcements about who's getting up will, and ready to go. Music pumping around, uh, a lot of a lot of blood rushing to the head. But this is where the experience and the, the calmness of the horseman in that suit of armour needs to take over. He can't see very much. Imagine he's looking through a five millimetre slit. He can't see his horse. He can't see his hands. He can only feel the reins and the horse underneath him. It's visibility reduced for safety. You can see very well in the helmets, but you can only see forward. That's all you need to see when you're jousting. Everything else, again, is opening up risk. Mm. Um, so from my point of view, you hear a name called. Your heart starts to race a little bit more, but you need to keep your heart quiet and cool because then that would translate to your horse. You don't just spin your horse up. You'll hear the call for lances and you will be offered a lance. You take a lance and you signal that you are ready. And then once the marshal sees that both are ready, he will call in French once again, laissez aller, let's go. And that is the call to gallop towards each other and, uh, and, and engage. And, and what sort of speed will you start galloping at? Some horses will be up to speed very, very quickly, but they'll probably meet in the middle of the tilt at about 20 miles an hour each. So a combined force of, of impact at the collision at about 40 miles an hour. So there's a... Indeed, it can be, be not just myself, but many other people. It's like being in a small car crash. And from the video that I've seen on the YouTube channel on the, on the English Heritage website, it looks like the lances snap as they connect. We have two types of spears that we use in English Heritage Joust. One that snaps in the middle and one that is solid, which is a solid piece of pine, which breaks on the knots of the pine themselves. This is the most authentic type of jousting because it's real. There's nothing 
fakery about it. With the snapping lances, they are weakened a little bit, so we can do more jousting at more places in the summer. If we did solids every day, we'd have about a week's worth of jousting and then everyone have to go to for a bit of a lie down. It's not just the um, physical toll, it's the mental toll as well. It's a very, very mentally demanding sport because you have to manage your lance very, very carefully. Because again, going back to being risk averse, you cannot afford to make any mistakes in this type of uh, in, in this type of uh, competition. And what lances are you using for this particular event here this, at Kenilworth? This will be uh, the snapping lances, as we call them. So they are made of uh, pine uh, and, and break in the middle, and they are fixed with a, a coronel on the end to make sure that that doesn't go into any small gaps. Uh, that might be seen in the armour, such as the armpits or uh, through uh, the visor of the helmet. So, Again, all replicated very carefully through research and um, it's going to be a pretty good day. It's going to be interesting because we've got a new team of jousters. That's going to lead to a few more mistakes, but we've also got the experienced jousters as well. So you'll see that there'll be an ebb and flow to the whole event. It's not just joust, 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 there'll be ups and downs, there'll be starts, there'll be false starts, there'll be lots of things going on. Lots of so excitement. Very exciting. Keep it? everyone guessing. Yeah. Um, lastly, you haven't been jousting that long, have you? What's your background as uh, a horseman? Well, I started riding horses because I was already involved in historical reenactment. I, I found something that I felt at home at, in a hobby amongst lots of other people. And, uh, and one day some friends galloped past me on a battlefield and I thought well I need to be involved in that uh, and so I went off to learn to ride realized that riding is actually quite hard so stuck at it we thought well if I want to do this impression then I need to do it properly because a knight that can't ride is not a knight he's not a knight rider <laughs> he's not a knight rider that's indeed <laughs> so I took that very seriously so I gave up the job I was doing at the time went to work on a stable yard uh, helping out people to, who were learning to ride or race horses, all things like that, to me a good solid foundation to do that. And then in this very place in 2001, right there, I had, was given my first lance in my first ever joust. So for, yeah, for the next 18 years, I've been jousting every single year, all over the world. Obviously this weekend, you're not in action as such on horseback, but can you describe for listeners what it is like to be involved in the sort of pageantry and pomp of a jousting event put on by English Heritage at such a grand castle as this? Well, I, I think for a start, um, it boosts people's confidence. Earlier we were talking about how we find it sometimes hard to engage with people. But when you're in a situation where you're riding into a castle like this, you're surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands of people, all expecting something from you, you rise to the occasion. In every time it swells the heart and it, it, it girds the spirits and it's very nice it's nice to be popular <laughs> even if it's just for a very short period of time you've been listening to the english heritage podcast if you want to see a live legendary joust for yourself head over to the events section of the english heritage website there you can find details of all those taking place across the country over the coming months. We're back again next week. Until then, don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe. Thanks for listening. See you next time.